So this morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, could you take it and turn to 1 Kings chapter 21? If you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, it'll be page 208, 1 Kings chapter 21, and Robin Thornton is going to come up and read our passage this morning. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stowed him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So I'm not sure of what may spike your meter for justice. I don't know whether it's uh, kind of the the Ponzi scheme where the people at the top of a pyramid do great, but lots of other people get hurt in the process. I don't know if it's some sort of doping scandal for athletes that are trying to gain a competitive advantage. I don't know if it's like when you hear about the abuse of children or the abuse of the elderly or the abuse of women, it, it immediately makes you say, that is not right. I don't know what spikes your media. Maybe it's something historical like uh, the, the Jim Crow laws or juries that distorted justice. Or maybe it's something political where there's, you know, someone's actually not serving but taking. My guess is, as Robin read the first 16 verses of 1 Kings 21, our justice meter spikes and we have no problem going, that is not right. There's something that nags at us with this particular story, certainly when you, when you cut off reading right there. We've been walking through the life of Elijah and kind of we've, we've met Ahab before. 
So this doesn't necessarily surprise us, but it does disgust us that this is what, this is what justice looks like in that day and time. And so I, I, I want us to rightly feel bothered by this particular story. And I think it does bother us for a few reasons. I just want to point them out kind of as we begin to process what God might have for us as we read this. I think one thing that bothers us here is that Naboth's life really doesn't seem to matter. You read a story like this and his life feels so cheap and you think, ah, but it should matter. It should matter. I mean, this was a man of principles and ideals and values. And Naboth isn't just trying to be difficult. He's not just stubborn for some arbitrary reason that he made up. As a matter of fact, we know that because we get into like exactly what drove him to be so almost foolishly courageous, but certainly courageous to stand up to the king. What drove that? Well, we we don't have to look very far. I mean, we hear his words. He says, this is an inheritance from my father's. They gave it to me. God was the ultimate giver of this land. He realizes that his inheritance is a gift from God and it was always meant to be looked at that way. So Naboth looks beyond just one generation, looks back multiple years and says, this was God's gift to our our family from the first day that God's people went into the promised land. It's not mine to give. Naboth's life was wrapped up in serving the one who had given him so much. That's why he would say, The Lord forbid, the Lord forbid that I do that. The the Lord has spoken on this. I serve him. I can't and I won't sell. It's not mine to sell. You look at a passage and I mean, there there are many you could look at where the Lord said, I'm giving you the land. You don't sell it. Matter of one of those, just plainly is in Leviticus 25, says the land shall not be sold in perpetuity. God speaking for the land is mine. It's not yours to sell. And Naboth has processed that and says to King Ahab, the Lord forbid I do that. He's doing right. And and we think that level of devotion to to anything, but I mean, certainly to God, to his, his heritage, like that should mean something. But yet his life is just taken. Ahab doesn't even pay attention to that. As a matter of fact, even as you read the story, Naboth is going to repeat what, a- what Ahab's going to repeat, what Naboth said, but he's going to change it. He's not going to bring anything on about the, the Lord. It's, yeah, he, he wouldn't sell it to me. Well, it's actually slightly more complicated than that. What's driving Naboth? Naboth's life shouldn't be this cheap. It shouldn't just be, you know, in a minute it's gone by some petty tyrant that decides, ah, I want that land. I got a use for it. It doesn't feel right because I think inside we know sometimes even our own lives or someone we care about deeply, sometimes it feels like, I'm not, sometimes it doesn't feel like their life matters. You know, you serve the Lord, you obey the Lord, and sometimes it seems like our existence, our life is cheap. It's almost depressing at times. I mean, we feel what Psalm 12 says, help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. So if you're feeling uneasy with Naboth just getting taken out of the equation, I think you're right to feel that. I think this story also bothers us for another reason, not just, not just because his life seems so cheapened, but it also bothers us because we just see the way in which sin contaminates. 
The way in which sin contaminates, it infects like a virus that, that starts and it spreads and it doesn't seem like it can be stopped. And it's, and it's an epidemic. And Romans 5 speaks to that. One, one man's sin entered into the world and sin passes to everybody. I mean, this is, this is one thing that bothers us is because we see how sin grows. And we know that, but when we watch it, when we watch it in even one particular story, we feel disoriented. We feel like this is not, this is not right. This is not the way it should be. So here's the chain reaction. Ahab sees something he wants, and he covets it. He's greedy. I mean, he's the king. He can get whatever he wants, but he wants that, doesn't he? So his covetousness and his greed sets in motion a sinister chain reaction. And he, when he doesn't get it, he, he pouts, and he's angry. And I, I, I can't even eat. Just thinking about it, I can't even eat. It says he, he's vexed and sullen. He's, he's throwing a, a temper tantrum. And then that leads to the next thing when he tells his wife. So see the next step of the chain reaction? She plans out a a murder. It's premeditated murder. And she does so in such a way where it's like, Ahab, don't you know who you are? You're the king. I'm the queen. She's the fixer, right? She's just going to make this problem go away. She's got the authority. He's got the authority. We, we, We can take care of this. Go ahead and eat. Let's have a good time. But this doesn't need to be a problem. She misuses. She misuses the legal system. She knows what it takes. She knows what needs to happen. And so she gets, you know, kind of public setting. Two witnesses, not one, because one wouldn't get it done. Two gets it done. And and the offense has to be a capital offense. I mean, she's misusing the legal system. And not only that, but she, she even has the nerve to bring God into it. So she says, this is the way this plan's going to go down. We're going to call a fast. We're going to have a, a national day of prayer. We're going to have a, a, a citywide day of prayer. And this is what the false witnesses, the worthless men of Scripture calls them. This is what they're going to do. They're going to come in and say, he's cursing God. We're religious people around here. We don't, we don't take, take kindly to that. We're religious. He's cursed God and the king. And are we going to let that stand in our city? misuses the legal system, misuses the, the religious system of the day. And then I think what bothered me the most, the more I read the story, was just the people's passive assent to the whole thing. Or did you read, did you read, did you read where the one leader stood up to Jezebel and said, we can't do this? Did you read about the elder of the city? Did you see that in there where the elder said, we can't do this? You didn't see it in there because it's not in there. No one stands up. So it's not just like wicked people, it's, it's weak people that are going to let this go on. And they end up lying, and then Ahab moves in at the end of the, the reading there to steal the land. I mean, how many commandments are broken in that story? Just quick count. You shall not steal shall not covet, shall not kill, shall not bear false witness, have no other gods before. I mean, how many, how many commandments fall using God's name in vain? Yeah, so sin contaminates, and there's something in us that says, somewhere this has got to stop. I mean, you, if you've seen it in, in a government, or you've seen it in an organization, or you see it at a school, or you see it in you know, a family, you think, at some point in time, this has to end. This is, this is not right. It continues to spread, and you're right to feel that. But, but also I read in this story, and kind of just 
when you put it all together, justice appears in this story to just be a farce. I mean, it seems like it's a joke. And, and, and we've seen that, but, but this is the worst. Like, justice is a joke. For, forget free press. Forget the rule of law. This is a world of rigged elections. This is a world of bogus courtrooms, laws with intentional loopholes, bribed judges, corrupt politicians, compromised leaders. This is the world that all too often that, that we can live in. And you know what happens? The vulnerable suffer when all that goes on. And somewhere in us, we, we, we want to pump the brakes and go, wait a minute. Justice in this story appears to be a farce. Yeah, this is the story of Ahab and Naboth. When you read this story, it's not going to let you just, like, skip on the top of the water with a little bit of God talk and a few life principles sprinkled in. As I read the Bible, actually, most of the Bible doesn't let you do that. So when you come to something like a 1 Kings 21, you don't, what you don't find are these, like, nice pithy little sayings that you put a pretty background and makes great for an Instagram page. The Bible, the Bible, frankly, is just a lot more real than that. It feels very raw at times about how the world works. But when I, when I read, read God's word and I actually stack up to how life works on this planet, I think the Bible, this is real. This is the way things go down at times. And it's, it's not right, and we see it. See, true hope doesn't come from an inaccurate or immature view of the Bible. We're going to have to dig below the surface and not just kind of try to skip on the surface and get a life lesson out of 1 Kings 21, but we're going to have to dig in a little bit more to make sure we're hearing from the Lord today. Because the fact is, God is the God of truth. And Jesus said he is the truth, and that through him we will know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Let's hear the truth. And the truth is, okay, church, the truth is that Naboth did matter. Regardless of what was seen, regardless of what went down in the first 16 verses, the life of Naboth really did matter. As the chapter unfolds, we're going to see that God has seen and will bring Ahab to judgment for what's been done. I I was kind of skipping ahead in Bible reading, trying to make sure I had the full context of this chapter. And and so I read even into 2 Kings, and you come all the way into 2 Kings chapter 9, so several chapters removed, and all of a sudden God is punishing Ahab's family. And you know what comes up? This man Naboth, his name is mentioned again. So while Ahab and Jezebel and the elders of the city just thought, you know, we'll just clean this all up. We'll close it all down. Nothing to look at here. Just keep walking. Naboth's life mattered. It mattered to God. And here we are. Here we are 2,700 years later talking about this ancient man who got his life taken. His life mattered. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of a saint. So that means when John the Baptist was executed, his life mattered. When James, the pastor in Jerusalem, was executed in, in the book of Acts, his life mattered. And so did the life of Stephen in the Bible. And so did the life of Apostle Paul. And and, and the life of Joseph and David and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Like all of them mattered to God. And, And what I want you to know is that if Naboth mattered to God, you do as well. 
Your life is not cheap. He knows where you are. He sees, he knows, he cares, so don't be deceived. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you still do, can we just see where this story goes? Because you read, continue reading, so Robin left off in verse 16, but, but I want us now to push on further to verse 17 and see actually where this goes. So Naboth thinks he's got it all, you know, or Ahab thinks he's got it all cleaned up. He's going to go down and take possession of what never should have been his in the first place. Then, then the inconvenient word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel. He's in Samaria, and the Lord has his number. <laughs> Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, and he's gone to take possession of it. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? You shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O O my enemy? He answered, I've found you because you've sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. This is the Lord speaking. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you provoked me, because you've made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. And anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. This is... This is God acting. This is what happens when justice has more layers than we see on the surface. When justice has more layers than we see on the surface. Make no mistake, it it, it regularly does. As I grew up, I I remember hearing this story, and it's a tad different hearing it as a grown-up. It's a little bit unsatisfying because I think, you know, Okay, I mean, Elijah can pronounce all these judgments, but Naboth's still dead. Doesn't get him back to life. And I really want justice. I want to see it. I want to see it pretty immediately, and we should be able to draw some straight lines. I mean, we have plenty of law enforcement in our congregation, and I think, rightly, there's a desire for justice. You know, the punishment ought to fit the crime. You do the crime, you ought to do the time. And what happens in these verses is that God rolls back the curtain on this broken world we live in. And he reminds us that he sees and he knows. We actually get a glimpse below the surface. And and I will say, some things we're just going to have to accept by faith. Because we will not see them resolved immediately to our satisfaction. And there's sometimes we have to just trust that God isn't lying. He's telling us the truth. And God sees it all. No one got away with anything. Not Ahab, not Jezebel. Not the sorry leaders of Jezreel that let all this go down. No one gets away with anything. God promises to bring justice. There's layers. You see, in the Bible, there's this big category for life beyond death. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, okay, that's a deeper layer of justice if there's a life beyond death. If it is appointed to all of us to die, and after that we face a judgment from God. Well, that changes the whole equation. So 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 1 and 2 Timothy 3. And Galatians 5 all have these long lists of people that disobey God. And God promises they'll be judged. 
And Revelation 20 makes it clear they are judged. But we have to have a category that extends a little bit between just me breathing my last here and, oh, that's it. God sees everything. There is life beyond death. Not only is there life and life beyond death, but there is a God who sits on the throne and he judges. John 3 says, the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And so Jesus will judge. And that, that means justice is coming. It is inevitable. It will happen. Judgment will be severe. It won't be just, you know, you better behave. Come on now. It will be severe. And justice will be right. There will be no one who can legitimately protest to God and say, you, you did me wrong here. This isn't fair. No one will be able to raise their voice to God and say that. When you get below the surface, it isn't always immediately satisfying. But I will say, okay, so, so let's, just for the sake of argument, assume you don't, you don't really buy what the Bible teaches on this, and you think, yeah, I think it's kind of all over when you die, and there's not really much after death. And I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about, like, a God who we're accountable to, a real being. I, I'm not sure about that. I'll tell you what, I'm not sure that gives you much comfort at all. I mean that honestly. If there's no eternity, if, okay, life just ends for Hitler committing suicide in a bunker in Berlin, and that's just it. I think you're going to have a hard time reconciling that with the hunger that God wired us for justice. The terrorist blows people up and nothing happens. A gunman commits atrocities and then suicide and that's it. No higher authority. No eternity? I'm not sure I can make sense of that world, even though it's, even though it's not easy, even though I, I have to be honest and frank with you, not everything's resolved in my mind. It's complicated. It makes more sense to me to take God at his word and recognize that there is a God who sees all and deals in eternity. That's the scope. That's the horizon. And ultimately makes all things right. Justice has more layers. And this story teaches us that. I think we have to see it. Justice has more layers than we realize, but I, but I think also a flip side of that is mercy has more layers than we see on the surface. In this story, mercy really disorients and also gives hope. This is one of the oddest chapters as far as the way it ends. One of the more surprising ones in Scripture, honestly. So I keep reading in 1 Samuel, or 1 Kings 21, and I get to verse 27, and Ahab's just heard, like, you're going down. You are going down. You're going to pay. And verse 27 says, and this is where the mercy kicks in, the, the, the depths of the mercy of God. Because when Ahab heard these words, he, it says he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his fa- flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. So the, the word of the Lord, the Lord who sees hearts, says to Elijah, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? What? And because he has humbled himself before me, I won't bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. I'm like, what? How, how can this be? I mean, why is God showing this man mercy? And what, let, let me just you know, free you up from any misconception. It wasn't because Ahab somewhere was like, really, he had a good heart. He just got in with the wrong. That's not Ahab. 
That's not Ahab. As a matter of fact, you read this chapter. He killed, he stole, he provoked God to anger, he made Israel sin, he sold himself to do evil, he acted abominably by going after idols. This is Ahab. He's not just a really good guy. Made some poor choices. And also, no misconceptions here. This repentance didn't last. And God knew it. I mean, God sees the future. He doesn't get, like, judgment canceled. He will meet the Lord someday. And his kids that will actually experience the full brunt of God's judgment, yeah, Scripture reminds us they're not really seeking God either. It's not as if, boy, they were really, really living for God. And No, no, that's not the story. So when we clear all that away, it's still like, okay, so Ahab humbled himself, and God showed him mercy. So this is what I, I, I gather from that. It always means something to God when we humble ourselves. It always means something to him. It doesn't alleviate consequences that, are, that may just flow naturally out of what we've done, but it always means something. It's always the right thing to humble yourself before the Lord. It's always the right thing to seek him, to turn from your wicked ways to repent. God always resists the proud. God always shows grace to those who are humble. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, even when the consequences are like, you're going to have a tough life because of what you've done, it is always the right move. It, It would be the right move this morning for us to humble ourselves before the Lord. I want to get frustrated because this story works on me. I mean, like, how does mercy shown to Ahab? Even a little bit. Why even a little bit? But no sooner do I get frustrated do I have to look in the mirror and go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know this story. God showing mercy to the undeserving? I know this story really, really well. Because I look in the mirror and I think about the secret thoughts that I sure wouldn't want on that screen for all of you to see. The things I've thought over the time. I mean, and, and if, if I realize my guilt, if I think about all the times where you say, God, I promise you this time, and that was pretty much an empty promise. And I think about the doubts about my faith that I'd never want broadcast or the rebellion and, and God you know, throws out a lifeline and I, I just choose to drown. You know, I mean, I, would, would I really, am I really so unfamiliar with Ahab and, and, and his particular repentance and God showing mercy, actually, no, the, the times you covet or you steal or you worship false gods or you lie or you cover up or, and you want to move on like nothing happened. And yet, even in that, God is showing mercy. What Ahab, what, I, what dawned on me is like, what Ahab experienced only just in small measure, a temporary reprieve, actually is what, what is the essence of my relationship with God. I received full forgiveness. Ahab only got a taste. I received full forgiveness and adoption into God's family. I received mercy. Despite that I'm undeserving, I, the rebellious, sinful person, am received by the Lord. You are the person who, upon repenting, you found grace. Yeah, that's that's not just an odd story in the Bible. That is the story of the Bible. This is all of our story. And I I think people walk into church regularly wondering, should I just feel really ashamed? I do. Should I feel guilty? I do. Should I wonder if God will accept me? Should I wonder if I could ever find peace? And I would think maybe maybe that's how you came in this morning. I just think this ought to be at least a, a glimpse into the mercy of God 
that says, whatever you've done, there's mercy with the Lord. As you humble yourself before him, he, he sees you, he knows you, and, and God will show grace. We can actually be a people of grace because God has shown us that grace. I want something to just sit on us uh, a little bit today, and, and it's a little bit of an analogy with this story where we can compare and contrast. Because in this story, you read of, you read of a wicked king, King Ahab, who, who is just bent on exploiting a simple, innocent man. But actually, the main story of Scripture, the Bible tells us of an all-powerful king who isn't wicked, but actually is innocent. His name is Jesus. And the contrast is significant because where Ahab came to take, Jesus comes to serve. King Jesus never exploits, but actually, actually, he's the innocent one who's taken advantage of. You want to talk about the justice system failing someone? It failed him. Two false witnesses coming up saying, we heard him charges of blasphemy, blasphemy, the religious leaders kind of push for capital punishment. Where is our justice meter when it comes to Jesus? What happens at the cross is that an innocent man takes the fall. And the guilty are given the opportunity to be brought into right standing with God. And here's mercy. When we humble ourselves before that cross, and we repent and we turn, we find a father eager, eager and ready to forgive. It's a very different story than you read in 1 Kings 21. That's the grace and peace you can experience as you call on the name of the Lord today. One, one picture that brings this together is the Lord's Supper. Because I think, this is justice. Blood was shed. A body was broken. This is mercy. Because the body broken was Christ for us. The blood shed was for us. You know, when we come around the Lord's table, we don't, like, we're not proud and puffed up. We confess, we repent, we humble ourselves. This is, if ever there's an opportunity, we humble ourselves. But we also know that our sin is not the obstacle that now keeps us like, you need not come. Because God has dealt with that sin in Jesus Christ. We're not barred from the table. So if you know Jesus, trusted in him as your savior, then the invitation is open for you. To remember, remember where justice and mercy collided. And your forgiveness was one. I want to give you a, a couple questions to think through and as the deacons prepare and uh, even our musicians will prepare. Here's some questions for us to think through. Where is God calling on me to humble myself? So it'll take a moment to get the bread and the juice distributed. This might be something you think about. Okay, where is my pride like I'm all puffed up? Where is God calling on me to humble myself? Here's another question. What layers of mercy is God bringing bringing to mind today. So I'm guessing that shouldn't be a short answer for any of you. Certainly not for me. Layer after layer after layer. There's mercy, there's mercy, there's mercy, there's mercy. Then maybe you want to spend time reflecting on a passage. This passage from the New Testament kind of has many of the same themes that we've talked about today. Second Peter 1. Our, our, our band is going to lead us in kind of taking us to the cross and we're going to stand amazed once again at the presence of Jesus who loved us. Sinners condemned unclean. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come and share uh, and distribute the bread and the juice.
as we remember what our Lord's done. And in a moment, we'll take it together. Generally, before meals, we say a word of thanks to the Lord. So before we take the bread and the juice, can we say thank you to the Lord. Father, we are humbled this morning, undeserving and needing of much grace. We don't trot out our accomplishments this morning. You'd see right through them. We don't try to get the scales to tip a little bit more in our favor. You, you'd see that. Thank you, Lord, that you are the just one who gave your life for the unjust. Thank you that in your death you brought people to God. I thank you that many of us in here are part of that number. Thank you for the good work that you've started. Thank you for the good work that you're doing. And, oh, Lord, we pray that you'd be faithful to complete it. We take time this morning to remember a body that was broken for us and a blood that was shed for us. In the midst of this, we say, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of him. Scripture says in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of him. Paul told the church in Corinth, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. For a moment, can we just quiet our hearts before the Lord and thank him for his mercy and kindness? Maybe you've already done that a little bit. Let's do that again. And then in a moment, champ, why don't you come up and close our service out, asking for the Lord's blessing on the rest of our day. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ for us has won many benefits for us. Let's let the word of God be the last word today. Would you pray with me? Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.